Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. All right, it's time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Morning, Keith. Good morning. Sorry I missed you yesterday. I was busy. Some of the listeners, man, where's Baldry? It's 10 o'clock. Why is he not here? Well, it's because you were covering the cabinet swearing in. Big cabinet shuffle yesterday, of course, up at Government House. So I was busy up there uh, for several hours. Uh, A lot of excitement in the room there as uh, EB swears in his new cabinet. Uh, Some old faces kept their jobs. But um, most of the changes, I think, were predicted, with the exception of a few. Yeah. Uh, I don't think anybody had Rashna Singh going into education. Yeah. Uh, that was that was uh, out of the blue. And I think that partly was tied to Katrina Chen, the Minister for Child Care, the day before the shuffle, suddenly issued that statement in the afternoon taking herself out of the cabinet running. And I think she was ticketed for education, but by taking her out, that elevated Rashna Singh from um, um, parliamentary secretary or minister of state into a full-fledged ministry. And as we talked about and predicted, I think the biggest appointment was Nikki Sharma as yeah. the attorney general. Attorney general, like you were predicting, okay, Nikki Sharma is going to go in, and I think a lot of people had her circled on their list here. But, wow, attorney general, Well, did that uh, surprise you? No, because it was explained to me, as I reported a few nights ago, when it was explained to me that EB views – uh, gender equity as a paramount um, uh, achievement in cabinet, but also not all ministries are equal. The, also gender parity at the senior ministries, and he views the senior ministries and the most powerful ministries as the attorney general, um, the minister uh, for uh, public safety, health minister, and finance minister. And so you've got two men, Adrian Dix and Mike Farnworth, filling health and um, public safety, and two women, Katrina Conway in finance and Nikki Sharma in AG. When that was made apparent to me, well, then there was no other choice but Nikki Sharma to go into AG. If a woman was going to be in AG, she's the only lawyer in the caucus who's uh, a woman. So You don't have to be a lawyer you to don't, be the AG. No, we've had uh, Colin Gableman was yeah. an AG in the, in the NDP. And Shirley Bond was briefly the the uh, AG for, well, for about a year, I think, in uh, in the Liberal government. Yeah. She wasn't a lawyer either. So, no, you don't have to be, but it does help. Yeah. Okay, let's have a listen to David Eby here. So here's the Premier speaking yesterday at the Cabinet swearing in. For some of the folks up here, uh, this will be their first time sitting around the Cabinet table. Others have been here over the last few years, guiding our province through some really extraordinary times. Our new Cabinet represents the diversity of our province. Uh, there are people bringing incredible experience and diversity of perspectives to the table. Okay, David Eby speaking yesterday. So eight new faces, which was more, I think, than a lot of us had anticipated. And we knew there was going to be some some new uh, some backbencher promotions, but eight, uh, which includes ministers of state. So four standalone ministers uh, from the backbench and four ministers of state. Also notable, as I reported, focus of my report last night was um, the geographical uh, factors that went into this. So for the first time, the NDP. Uh, at the cabinet table has representatives from Langley, Chilliwack, and Abbotsford. Um, some of them are ministers of state, but they're still at the cabinet table nevertheless. So that represents the historic breakthrough the NDP made in the 2020 election, electing MLAs from those Fraser Valley communities that used to be rock-solid liberal yes. bastions. And now they are going to elevate some of the members there 
through cabinet posts as signal that the NDP can hang on to those seats, yeah. there's no way the Liberals can regain power. I mean, that's where the path to power lies, is in Langley, Chilliwack, and uh, Abbotsford, and Richmond. Richmond did not get a seat at the table yesterday. But I think by when we have the next shuffle, which will occur before the next election, which was ruled out, by the way, by David Eby yesterday. Again. Again, pretty yeah. equivocally. We're saving all that tape. Just in case he calls it or says he remains committed to the fixed election date, which is the fall of 2024, he will have another cabinet shuffle before then. And that's when he has the proverbial, are you running again, conversations with his ministers. And if they say no, if they answer truthfully, uh, then they'll be replaced by someone else. And that's when I think you're going to see a Richmond MLA elevated to cabinet. Yeah. You know, when you take a look at ridings like uh, Chilliwack, where you've got Dan Coulter in there for the NDP who was put into cabinet yesterday. I mean, this is a a city that used to be like a liberal fortress. I mean, the NDP could not elect anyone there. No. Boy, that's really changed. Well, the the NDP scored that uh, by-election win, which was doesn't count. In, yeah. in general election, though, they never had a hope of winning there. That was, no. again, and before the Liberals, it was social credit territory. Right. And same with Langley. And same with Abbotsford. The, the demographics are changing, though. That's where young families are lo- are living now because they can't afford uh, homes in Vancouver. So they're moving out to Langley, to Abbotsford, to Chilliwack, to, uh, and areas out there. You know, you look at a place like Maple Ridge and, and Pitt Meadows and Mission. Historically, th- th- those ridings were the closest ridings in provincial elections. Just like literally 100 votes would determine the winner for either the NDP or the Liberals or before then the Socrates. In the 2020 election, Bob Deeth and Lisa Bear won by thousands of votes yeah. in those ridings. They were not close at all. And that, again, reflects the the changing demographics. What also helped the NDP in the Fraser Valley was the fact that conservatives ran candidates in several ridings, the Conservative Party, and took, you know, the difference between the NDP and the Liberals was about what the, uh, the conservatives uh, took, even though they might have got 5% of the vote. That 5%, if they had gone to the liberals, probably yeah. would have won- let the liberals win that right, but it didn't happen. Let me ask you about Katrina Conroy there as the selection for finance minister yesterday. And I was watching some online reaction and some expressions of surprise that she had been put in there. You don't seem too surprised that she's, she's in there. What are her qualifications to be finance minister? Well, she's been an MLA for a long time. I mean, she's a veteran, and she has... Very good reputation as a forest minister. Talking to forest executives, they were much more impressed with her than her predecessor, Doug Donaldson, uh, even though she's overseen some pretty big changes in the forest uh, forest sector. Yeah. Um, but uh, she has, so again, a high reputation as someone who has a grasp of the technical side of, of ministries. But um, it sounds like she didn't even want the job. Well, there, yeah, apparently in the scrum she said she would have preferred to stay in forestry. That's a strange thing to say. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Why would you say that? Why uh, would you say, I've just been appointed finance minister and then say, actually, I didn't want it? I think she was actually half joking. But oh. it was it was uh, perhaps reflective of the fact she's inheriting a budget <laughs> that has a huge surplus. Yeah. But the the briefing that um, Selena Robinson, her predecessor, got this week from forecasts, uh, economists are forecasting a complete meltdown next year of uh, of economic growth, which means the surplus this year is going to turn in probably into a significant deficit. So, uh, yeah, anyone going to force right now gets a really good send off by Selena Robinson, but then inherits yeah. this big bag of you know what right how much is this how much is the surplus right now well right now it's projected to be 5.7 billion dollars good lord but there's also several billion dollars in contingency funds that aren't spent and of course some of the much of that money likely will be spent between now and march 31st if it's not spent 
it goes against the provincial debt. That's by law. So if mm. it, it doesn't carry over. You can't sort of squirrel it away for a rainy day. Uh, it, by law, it has to go against the debt. And the B.C. Liberals famously made a mistake in 2017, I think, as the election was drawing closer, uh, finance, then Finance Minister Mike DeYoung proudly had a news conference or media availability in his office. And I remember talking to him and him announcing, we're going to put this $2.9 billion surplus against the debt. And, right. we, and reporters said, what? what? Why don't you spend some of it on program or give something back to the people? This is a time when affordability was becoming the big issue. The NDP ran in that election on issues like getting rid of the tolls, yeah. which the liberals yeah. mocked. Right. And right. they thought, oh, no, if we just retire, put money against the debt at a time when people needed money. And they paid for it. And they lost seats they probably would have won if they'd been a little more generous. So they should have spent that money. They should have taken the tolls off. Oh, they should have taken the tolls off or <laughs> whatever or give a rebate to something. And so right. I think, again, um, I think there's, there's still hints this renter's rebate is coming out. For- <laughs> How many years have we been talking about that? Now? Well, they've got the, they can't argue they can't afford it. I mean, the money's there. The yeah. money is there. In the five point seven billion dollars will more than cover a, a renter's. Rebate. How do you end up with a surplus that size? I mean, doesn't that doesn't that mean that they totally bungled the budget? Like, how do you end up with five point seven billion almost, sitting on the table? Almost all of it. Uh, well, a huge chunk of it comes from Ottawa revisiting tax returns over the last couple of years, and and this happens every year where they readjust the tax revenue that comes out. So you pay personal income tax; it goes to Ottawa. It doesn't go to Victoria. Uh, or you, you, your tax returns go back. Same with corporate taxes. And so both ta- both corporate and personal income tax were restated by Ottawa, and roughly $4 billion, I think $8 billion came back that wasn't there in the budget. The other thing that really exploded was the natural resource revenue, yeah. which is hard to figure out because you don't, you don't know when, what resource prices are going to be. So the error wasn't on the spending side as much as there was a lot of un- unanticipated revenue. Now, I remember when the budget came out, wrote a piece saying, wait a minute, really underestimating the, the revenues here. So Selena Robinson thought mm. her team projected a revenue drop of $2 billion, which seemed very unlikely. And sure enough, the revenues are up $10 billion or $11 billion. Wow. So that was a miscalculation. Okay, real quick before we take the break here, let's talk about the surge in, in flu, uh, especially among children. And very disturbing reports about, six, is it six children have died from six, flu-related illness? Six suspected of flu-related. And I don't think wow. all the all the tests are in yet, but yes. Uh, and and what's the normal number? Like, you know, this sometimes I think does happen. It does happen. I think it's two, according to reports I've seen, in a normal flu season. But this flu season is far worse than we've seen yeah. in pre... We didn't have flu the last couple of years because of the pandemic. People weren't weren't socializing. They weren't congregating. They weren't spreading viruses around as much. Um, but now the, the, the flu that's here is quite serious, and it's hitting young people in particular. Um, I think I reported earlier this week that... Um, 26% of all the visits to healthcare, whether it's a doctor's office, clinics, or the emergency ward, of kids under 10, uh, was about 26% of all the visits were kids under 10 with the flu or with, oh. with acute respiratory symptoms, whether yeah. it's uh, RSV, uh, flu, or even COVID. And that's more than double in three weeks. Baldry's beat. Let's go right to your phone calls here. Michelle and Langley. Hi, Michelle. Go ahead. Hi, there. First of all, condolences to the families who have lost their children in the flu. That's an awful thing to go through. Uh, but my question is today for Keith is um, the amount of surplus that there is there uh, to go towards the deficit. Like how much are we paying as taxpayers on interest every year on our deficit? And is it not fiscally responsible to put that towards the, the debt rather than to just blow the money? Yeah, so we're paying a little more than $2 billion a year in interest on the wow. debt. 
but debt goes up, um, and our debt rating uh, is not being changed. It's still very high from the bond-rated agency, so there's no danger there. I mean, you can argue this either way. You can say, yeah, put it all against the debt. On the other hand, people pay taxes every year. They pay, they pay service fees. They pay user fees uh, to government, and people are looking for something to come back. And so when a government's in a position to have all this money, is it better for people to put it against the debt, which has absolutely no impact on, on people, or is it better to give it back in some form or another, or put at least a portion against the debt and put a portion in terms of returns to paper? So I don't think it would be program spending because once you put money into a program, it's there forever. So you have to cut it next year if suddenly revenues go down. But if it's a one-time payment for things, whether it's a grant to community groups, um, to to various associations, community groups, associations, um, the renter's rebate could fall into that. A $400 renter's rebate could be funded by something like this. Now, it's, it's they've got to make a decision fairly quick. Because I've talked to ministers to say it's not easy to get a check out the door, given the, the sort of the bureaucratic way this works. It takes the ICBC uh, rebates, for example, took months to get out the door and to arrive at your house. So the fiscal year ends March 31st. So time's of the essence here for the government to get moving on giving at least some of that money back. I think that would be more responsible than just putting it all against the debt. Let's go to Gordon on the line in West Kelowna. Hi, Gordon. Go ahead. Hi, in regards to this um, budget windfall, one thing I think has been overlooked, and it's just a small part, but it sure must add up. Uh, We live in a cold country here, and I just got my Fortis bill the other day. I think most of it's November or something like that. And $159, $23 and changes is carbon tax. Can you imagine how much they're collecting on that? We live in a cold country, and I thermostat set at 19. What are we supposed to do, freeze to death? (laughs) Uh, yeah, so the carbon tax isn't going away, I'm, I'm afraid to tell you. Um, but and it goes up a little bit every year, but the revenue from it isn't really skyrocketing. But I noticed natural gas prices are increasing, which is a big reason, another big reason why the deficit, the surplus is so big is because natural gas revenues are back to where they were, um, you know, more than a couple decades ago when yeah. it was $2 billion a year. So that money's coming in because, again, which raises the argument, do you give money back to people who suddenly, can they afford this huge spike in heating bills if you have natural gas? Now, not everyone's a natural gas customer. You know, people have oil or electricity. Uh, you are getting a hydro rebate, but I think the pressure's on the government to give even more back. I remember listening to John Horgan giving a very fiery speech years ago in the legislature, and, and Gordon would have loved it because he was, what about these people who were getting walloped with these high natural gas bills just mm-hmm. to heat their homes? Do not bring in that carbon tax. This is before they got religion on the carbon tax and did did the complete flip flop on it. Yeah. yeah, it was interesting yesterday at the swearing in the government house. There was a small knot of protesters, yeah, who were protesting fracking. Yes, well, fracking frees up natural gas. And I have to wonder how many of those people went back to homes heated by natural gas. <laughs> I wonder. Rob and Chilliwack. Rob, you got thirty seconds. Okay, I'll be quick. Good morning, guys. Keith, uh, you know I got to be honest with you. You, you. you know when you say there's this historic breakthrough in Chilliwack the last election let's just be i gotta be frank about it it was one of the lowest turnouts ever john horgan let's remember called an election during a pandemic people were frightened and also the bc libs kevin falcon if you're running don't run that guy out there again i can't even remember his name i blocked it out he, he was laurie thrown us thrown us right that guy don't run him i don't Having think they will that, well, he's been <laughs> isn't he been removed yeah yeah yeah, yeah you're right yeah, robin thanks, it was Rob. a low turnout 
Um, but it was, a win's a win. Um, it doesn't mean that this is is it just a one-time win. You know, I would say the odds favor that. But once the NDP, once a party gets a toehold in a riding, it gives them a big leg up to continue to increase that toehold and win again. Thank you, Keith. Talk tomorrow.